Are you finding it difficult to face your problem? Then maybe the problem is your face. Fret no more, for we have a revolutionary product. Andito na ang papa. Papa this is the solution to all your problems with getting the ladies of your dreams. And because we want to help you, we will make it very easy for you. All you have to do is send us a photo of the front and back of your credit card and we will send you this miracle elixir at your doorstep. Email us at thisisnotsuspicious.hotmail.com What are you waiting, are you waiting for? Hello everyone, welcome to Banana Key Podcast. Ray and I have been watching some interesting shows on Netflix lately and we wanted to talk about them, though they are not really about Filipinos. There will be spoilers for the show, so I would like to mention what they are up front just so that you are aware in case you are planning to watch them and don't want spoilers. Right? So the shows are Tinder Swindler, Inventing Anna, and Fire Festival. So what do these shows have in common? Well, the first title has it in its name, Swindler. Yes. And I've always been fascinated by, I don't know, white-collar crimes, scams, boodles. And <laughs> I've already mentioned, you know, I love the series called White Collar, right? Starring Neil Caffrey, the savant, the con artist. But that one's not real. It's fictional character. But all of these shows that we will be discussing right now are actually based on real events, right? Obviously, they are sensationalized at some point, but they are inspired by true events. So why don't we start by the first show, Tinder Swindler. So this is a documentary over at Netflix um, exposing how a convicted fraudster born in Israel named Shimon Hayut has kind of conned women into giving them all their money. And sometimes even more, right? Women yeah. would take loans and, you know, give to him. So how how did it all happen? So Hayut kind of used online dating apps, uh, Tinder for one, and he would make these ladies fall in love with him, right? First and foremost, he would post pictures. And then if you Google his name, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a fake name. He uses the name Simon Levayev. If you Google his name, it uh, an article would pop up that he's the son of a multi-billionaire, you know, a magnet of a diamond uh, company. <laughs> Obviously, as a lady doing your due diligence, you would be, oh, he's a rich guy. And then you would scroll over his Instagram account. Oh, he's been flying in private jets, dining in fancy restaurants, you know. So it kind of validates the claim that, oh, he's a son of a billionaire. And then how the, the scam works is so he would take these ladies into really fancy first dates, like uh, on a private jet. But what the ladies didn't know was while he was dating them, uh, sorry, while he was dating a lady, he was secretly dating multiple other women. And the catch happens when Simon would eventually mention that, oh, the, the diamond business is actually very dangerous there's a lot of enemies after me, so I can't use my credit card. So my love, please send me money. So once the, the victim 
has fallen in love with a guy, has already been into, you know, lavish parties or, or dates with him, the lady would not doubt that the guy would pay back the money that would be eventually loaned to him. What happened was the guy, this Simon, was actually dating multiple women. <laughs> so he would use the scammed money to kind of fund the date of another woman. So it's like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of conned a lot of women into giving him a lot of their money. So one lady was scammed for about 250000 Oh my God, that's a lot of money, yeah. Quarter of a million dollars. And it's not her money. She would have gone to banks for loans, credit cards. So that means she's in a lot of debt, right? After mm. that. I mean, it's one thing to be scammed of the money that you actually have. Mm. But it's even worse if that means you're in debt for the rest of your life because yes. of this, right? Yeah. So from the show, you could really see that the ladies were, I don't know, maybe showing signs of PTSD or really depressed. It's like, oh, I'm in the hole. I'm A lot of creditors are asking for payments. And what if she went to a loan shark, right? Then obviously people will be banging on you in her door so a lot of women actually got scammed and the funny thing is this guy simon levayev or shimon hayut was already convicted like a few years ago in finland for a similar scam so it's like he's a returning convict mm. he scammed a, an estimated 10 million dollars across several women but eventually he got caught and it was a funny story how he got caught so uh, there's this uh, newspaper, I think it was a VG, uh, a company called VG. It's a big newspaper agency who was actually following or, or already looking at the story of Simon. And then a current girlfriend, Eileen Coleman, saw the piece of VG about Simon Hayut, you know, uh, scamming a lot of women. And then what she did was, oh, she pretended that she's still in love with Simon and then she was like, oh, uh, I'll help you get through this. And obviously, Simon was asking for more money. And she was like, I have a proposal. I'm in the buying and selling of secondhand goods. And I know for a fact that you have a lot of luxury items. You have a Gucci shirt. You have all these branded suits, right? So why don't we sell those in the secondary market? And then Simon agreed, okay, I'll give you my suits for you to resell. And then the proceeds, you can give it back to me. And then Eileen did not give <laughs> yeah. the money. So she, so she was the swindler of the Tinder swindler. That was a really funny. Yeah, that story. was pretty badass of her, actually. I mean, I don't think she managed to get back everything that he got from her in the end, but at least mm. she managed to get some back, right? Unlike that lady you mentioned that had a loan of $250,000 and there was this other lady. But these two ladies actually. After they realized that they were scammed, they went out and published their story, right? And I think that mm. was the one that was on the newspaper that this other lady saw. But apparently, they're not the only ones who got scammed. So in total, it was estimated $10 million, right? So obviously, there are a lot more. And probably most of these women felt vulnerable. They don't want to share because, you know, if you got scammed, you are a little bit kind of defensive, right? You don't want to share to at least to your friends even that you got scammed it's a you'll bit... be embarrassed right yeah it's embarrassing especially after what happened when that first two ladies came out with the story right a lot of the comments they read were 
actually victim blaming, right? Like, oh, mm. how could you have been so stupid? It was so obvious. Oh, you're a gold digger. Mm. Of course, as you said, the other ladies would be afraid to come out because a lot of people would say the same thing about them. Yeah. Well, the question is, now that we know about this, is Simon the only guy doing this? Probably. Probably there are a lot more people, yeah. right? Uh, catfishing uh, on dating sites and then pretending to be somebody. The funny thing is it's so easy to fake a character right now. Yeah. Right? You can just create your own website or maybe if you have a lot of credits on Wikipedia, you can create your own Wikipedia page. And <laughs> yeah, simple Photoshop skill would go a long way. The terrible part about that is Simon actually made the girls fall in love with them, right? Mm, yeah, that's, that's true. It's not just the money. It's also the heartbreak that, oh, I trusted you. I thought you were real. And then all of a sudden, not only are you scamming me with my money, but I'm heartbroken. Yeah, that's true. And it's so cruel because, well, it's still cruel if you steal the money for a rich person. But he knew that she didn't have that money, right? She was actually telling her, oh, you can get a loan. Oh, I'm going to hire you for my company so that, you know, I could give you fake pay slips so that you could get your um, credit card limit to go up and all that. And I think he told one other girl, why don't you sell your car? Like, this guy is ridiculous. Can you believe, like, the audacity? <laughs> God. Like how can he sleep at night, right? Knowing yeah. that he's doing this to innocent people and then people, you know, who have lost sleep because they're now in the red. They're now owing a lot of people just because they trusted this Simon Levi of uh, a fake personality. It's so sad and infuriating. So the second swindler we have on our list is on this show called Inventing Anna, which just very recently dropped on Netflix. In Inventing Anna, a journalist with a lot of proof investigates the case of Anna Delvey, the Instagram legendary German heiress who stole the hearts of New York's social scene and stole their money as well. But is Anna New York's biggest con woman, or is she simply the new portrait of the American dream? So the beginning of each episode shows a cheeky reminder. It says, this whole story is completely true, except for all the parts that are totally made up. <laughs> right? Every episode um, starts with that. That's so <laughs> that's, yes, this show is based on a real person. But she is not really named Anna Delvey, but Anna Sorokin. So I'll get to that. But first of all, I want to say that that reporter character was incredibly irritating. Hmm? I and a lot of other people think it was a huge mistake to let her be a focus of this show. Like, who cares about her and her pregnancy and her career misstep and whatnot? Like, this show is supposed to be about Anna, right? That's the title. Hmm. So why is it that this reporter is like half of that screen time is devoted to her? So, yeah, I think that's a misstep. The second huge mistake I think that the show made was in portraying Anna as some kind of sympathetic feminist victim. To me, she she was clearly a villain, right? She's a narcissist who preyed on other people. So I thought it was, I don't know, like a mixed message or a dangerous message even to young people that, oh, it's okay to steal and scam and whatnot as long as it's for your dream or whatever. It's like an insult to me or to you, to everyone who did not also grow up rich, but we did not scam anyone, right, in order to chase our dreams. Mm. Like, what is that trying to say? New York Times says, For years, Anna Sorokin pretended to be Anna Delvey, a German heiress with a trust fund that paid for a life of glamorous ease. 
She lived in boutique hotels, wore designer clothes, and hung out in Manhattan's moneyed party circles. In reality, Anna Sorokin was a Russian immigrant who walked out on bills, connived her way into luxury, and persuaded a bank employee to give her $100,000 she never intended to pay back. So she had the vision, or should I say delusion, of opening Anna Delvey Foundation, a private club with exclusive memberships and rotating arts exhibits. So it's a kind of, you know, something that you and I could not even deign to grace, right? Because it's just for very rich people. So she somehow, though, gained access to a hotelier, a British-American entrepreneur, and a real estate developer who were, you know, interested in being in this business. However, they wanted her to build it first, so she needed the money. So what she did was, when she returned to Germany for a few months, she worked out the details of ADF and created four fake bank statements in Photoshop, which she said took surprisingly little time. She returned to New York and used those same documents again and again in pursuit of different loans. And the loans she tried to take were not for small amounts. She tried to get a $22 million loan from City National Bank. And when she was turned down, she went to Fortress Investment Group. In the end, when they told her they needed to meet with her actual bankers in Europe so that they could prove the existence of her so-called 60 million euros in assets... She withdrew the loan application to prevent further scrutiny. So those things didn't work out right, but she did have a lot of cons that did, such as managing to charter a private jet ride without paying the $36,000 fee up front. And she checked into hotels and managed to rack up bills of over $30,000. And the most notable incident of this is when she flew to Morocco with three friends, promising them a lavish, all-expense-paid luxury trip and ended up saddling one of them with $62,000 in credit card debt, which was more than that person made in a year. Hmm. So this lady named Rachel ended up cooperating with the police to get Anna arrested. So the funny thing about this, although she's very weird already, right, is Anna. But during her trial, she actually hired a stylist to send designer label outfits for her to wear while on trial, that was very odd, right? Like, huh? <laughs> I cannot. Well, she's still protective of her image. Oh she still God. wants the people to believe that she's this German heiress. Right? Oh my God, yeah. I cannot really. But in the end, though, she was convicted on eight counts and sentenced to four to 12 years in prison. But she actually only served four years. Hmm. So after moving through five correctional facilities, Anna was released in February 2021. So that was last year. Six weeks later, she was rearrested by immigration authorities for having overstayed her visa. She had spent the last year in ICE detention where she is fighting deportation to Germany. Okay, my question is, why was she not immediately deported straight after? It's very <laughs> weird. <laughs> You're right. I don't know. I don't know how that... How that happened? Why was she... Maybe because she still is on the hook for a lot of cases. So mm. if, if you think about if you are the bank that got scammed, right? Mm. You still want Anna to be in the US so that if she happens to stumble upon a new money, then they can reclaim some of that cash. Like the money that she got from Netflix, right? Yeah, she mm. got, I think, $350,000 or something from Netflix. But apparently the government or someone invoked the son of Sam Law 
if I remember correctly, it means that someone who committed a crime or fraud cannot stand to gain money from that crime. So that means, yeah. you know, if you earn money from that, then that money should go to the people that you owe the money to. And that is why, as you said, right, the banks, I think the ones that she owed money to, they took that money. Yeah, because if she got extradited earlier, then that money <laughs> given by Netflix probably would go to her. But the one strange thing that happened towards the end, right, when she was, I think, when she got sentenced, she was not found guilty on defrauding Rachel, right? Th- that was a little bit strange. Yeah, I wonder why that was a decision. Because this is a jury decision, right? So I think it's because for them, Rachel mm. was the one who gave the credit card voluntarily, which I don't think she did. I mean, even if she did voluntarily give it, it was because of a high-pressure situation, right? Mm. I mean, I would imagine if I were Rachel in that situation, and let's say it's someone I trust, like it's you, and then there are these scary-looking people who might throw us in jail. What am I supposed to do in that scenario, right? Obviously, I'm going to offer up my credit yeah. card. So I don't think it's fair to think that she just offered it up, right? Yeah. And the worst thing was it was her corporate card as well. And that's why the, the company got involved. And eventually, did she get sacked? She, she did, right? Yeah, I think she did. Uh, but I read, though, that eventually Amex refunded her the amount, but it took like mm. two years of of that. And then also, I think she got a book deal out of it. Like she got, was it a $300,000 book deal? So oh, okay. all in all, it's still okay. So maybe that's she why the, the jury were like, oh, she's not guilty because she's getting a book deal. Who knows? <laughs> but it's still not right, though. They should still have charged mm. Anna for that. Yeah, even though she got money in the end, you know, the stress. Mm. The, of mental anguish that she went through. Yeah, because she was chasing Anna for three months, right? Mm. Calling, where is it? And Anna kept like lying. Oh, mm. I have a cashier's check. And then, oh, and then when she got there, where's the cashier's check? Oh, I think I seem to have forgotten it in the Tesla that I was riding earlier. Like, what the? <laughs> so and then annoying. she did eventually send her money via PayPal and it was just $5,000. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, um... it's like less than 10% of what she was... <laughs> Uh, what she owed to yeah. Rachel. So it was high stress. Yes, situation. very high stress situation for sure. And I think on the same time when inventing Anna happened in real life, there's another scam that happened and it was called Fire Festival. It's the greatest party that never happened. Yeah, and actually the guy was portrayed in Inventing Anna, right? Like there was uh, yes. a brief moment that he was there. <laughs> so they moment. actually crossed yeah. paths, yeah. So, Fire Festival was a fraudulent luxury music festival founded by con artist Billy McFarland and apparently a famous rapper, Ja Rule. Oh, okay. He, he was there in the documentary. It was a partnership between Billy McFarland and Ja Rule. And the intention of the party or the festival was to promote the Fire app. So, the company Fire has an application for you, a normal person. To book talent. So if you want Taylor Swift to be in your birthday party, you can use the app and mm. book Taylor Swift. So it was it was a promising business model, right? Yeah, it is. We are already reaping the benefits of the shared economy and you can book an Uber, you can book Uber Eats and why can't you book a famous celebrity? But the problem was Billy McFarlane kind of amassed a lot of investors because it was a promising 
business proposal, but he fraudulently changed the numbers. Like he was fudging revenues. He made the books look a lot better. And one way to show the investors that, hey, we do have a market. Let's do the Fire Festival. And the Fire Festival was like this extravagant music festival in the Bahamas. Mm. The thing was, it blew up. Like there's a lot of following in this event because it was promoted by Instagram and social media influencers like Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, Haley Baldwin. So a lot of people signed up for it thinking that they will be there, thinking Uh, that, oh, they're promoting it. A lot of big name celebrities must be there. And then the promotional ad was so compelling. There were like models in the Bahamas having a good night and then see you in Fire Festival. <laughs> so you as a consumer, as the target audience, you would think, hey, I can go to that festival and have a party with beautiful models, celebrities. So it's a compelling case. So a lot of people bought into idea. It was sold out almost immediately. But the problem was a lot of the money that the target audience paid was already spent in the promotional video that happened <laughs> oh my God. even before the festival took place. And there were just a lot of logistical issues. First and foremost, the location changed. They were supposed to have it in an island previously owned by this Colombian drug lord, Pablo Escobar. But the problem was the owner of the island specifically said, do not use Pablo Escobar's name. But then they did, like in the promotional video, (laughs) we will have a party in an island previously owned by Pablo Escobar. And so that kind of started the screw up, right? Because now they have to look for another location, spend a lot more money. And the location they found was terrible. It wasn't really a, a location that you can have a music festival in. So there was no water. They had to fly in water. There are no accommodations, so they had to build accommodation. So the the infrastructure expenses blew up. Mm. So they, they ran out of money. Billy McFarland went to New York again, asking for more investors that, hey, this is a big event. After this one, this, there will be a second one. There will be more. This is a profitable venture. But eventually, you know, when the event took place, It didn't happen. It was postponed and eventually canceled because there was no money anymore. People were promised of a luxury vacation. They were hunted out boxed sandwiches for lunch. (laughs) And the accommodation they were promised were actually disaster tents from a previous Hurricane Matthew. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And they paid a lot of money, right? Like, can you remember how much it was that they would have to pay? Thousands and thousands of dollars. And the funny thing was, weeks before the event, they got an email saying, hey, you're vacationing in an island, right? So you need to load money in your wallet. So they were given like bands that was supposed to be their e-wallet for the festival. Oh, God. And then apparently a kid loaded hundreds of thousands of dollars in that e-wallet. Oh, my gosh. So on top of the ticket price... They loaded that and all of those money were gone. <laughs> oh my God. In the first place, why do these kids have this much money? <laughs> I guess they I came from know. rich families or something. But yeah, I think that is one of the reasons why when that happened, like a lot of people actually just laughed at those people mm. because they're, they in their mind, they were thinking, 
oh, poor rich people, like, you know, you deserve that for having that much money. I think and people have become anti-rich <laughs> nowadays. But I don't think it was fair to, you know, be happy that that happened to people, right? Yeah, no. Like, yeah. they went there thinking that they would have a good time. And it's not good that instead of a good time, you know, they got hungry. Hmm. It's very cold because, as you said, it's just those tents. Yeah, and was it rained the night prior, so it was really cold. And it was in the Bahamas, right? So mosquitoes will be there. Oh, no, yes. Yeah, it was a disaster. And, yeah, people were recounting kind of horrific stories, right? Like, they couldn't sleep. And then the people who were at the venue, right, it was survival mode. People were looting, and there were no lights. So Oh, my God, <laughs> it, yes. It was really survival mode. And, and these are rich kids. Like, they don't know how to survive. Yeah, exactly. And that was horrible. And then in the end, what happened to this guy? The guy was convicted, obviously, of, of fraud. So he was fined. He, he was imprisoned, but he was released. And then th- there was a subsequent epilogue wherein he kind of started again another quote-unquote scam. They mm. called it NYC top deals or something. So he colluded with a friend to kind of do the same scam. And they have the email addresses of the prior victims, right? Oh my God, so what use the... the same email distribution list and then blast email. New deals. Oh, you can go to the Met Gala with this ticket. So it, it was all a scam. Wait, so the people believed again or they didn't realize that it was the same person or something? Uh, some why. people believed. Some people were so suspicious that, hey, hey, did you get that email? Oh yeah, I got that email. I got the same email. So they must be uh. targeting... The same email distribution. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then good for those people, right? Because it's suspicious if you would get an email out of nowhere and you don't know who these people are. Trust an email promising you very lofty deals, right? Chances Mm. are, if it's too good to be true, chances are they are. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Mm. But that's the infuriating part about this, right? Like these people scammed a lot of people and not just like a small amount and Mm. in a short time they're out again and they're sociopaths so they're going to keep on doing this again and again yeah maybe because they believe that hey if i can get away with it then probably it's not my problem you know that Uh, so they're victim blaming again yes it's not my fault that these people are stupid enough to believe me if they believe me then they deserve to suffer something like yeah which is a sociopath way of thinking right they have no empathy i was just so shocked that huh he was able to kind of get away with another similar type of scam wait did he get prosecuted for the second one again yeah i think so he got caught again (laughs) i so so i have reason to believe that this anna is gonna do it again and actually i think she will because uh, in one of the interviews when she was asked, would you do it all over again, you know? And she said, yeah, mm. she would. And then she just laughed. Like, crazy. There is no mm. hint of remorse whatsoever. She doesn't think that she did anything wrong. So that is the problem with these people, right? But could it be as well that the environment that they are in, so these organizers are in New York, I imagine, right? So mm. it's the kind of environment that would really push you to look for the glamour to be yeah. in the best parties in New York and for you if you don't have cash if you want to be in that environment and you don't have the cash then by hook or by crook you will have to find mm. your way it's contagious right the the vibe the mm. energy or whatever or the way of thinking 
that you want to be it. You want to be elite. And that is mm. why these people revolve in the same circles. And they're all, yeah. well, not all, but a lot of them are also scammers. Yeah. They are drunk in the same collective delusion that it doesn't matter how you get the money for as long as you get it. It's yeah. It's just something terrible. that I, I cannot imagine. I, I don't think I could deign to scam someone. Mm. Because I would always put myself in the shoes of that person. Yeah. What if that happened to me? So I don't want to do it. Uh, my my question is, how do they sleep at night? Yeah. That's the question. Because for me, Precisely. if I did something wrong, I would lose sleep sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so... Yeah, even a minor thing, right? If you think you, mm. oh, I shouldn't have raised my voice at my friend today. Mm. And then you would lose sleep over such a minor thing that probably for your friend that was nothing. You probably understood you were in a bad mood or something. And then mm. and then you cannot sleep anymore over mm. something so minor. And then these people ruin people's <laughs> lives and they're okay. I, I, I do not get it. I really yeah. do not get it. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a TV series, but it's not yet out. So it's mm. actually one of the biggest scandals of all time. And this is officially getting another star-studded adaption. And it's called The Dropout. So Amanda Seyfried will be playing the role of Elizabeth Holmes Ooh. in the TV series, which is coming to Hulu and Disney Plus in March 2022. Elizabeth Holmes was the founder and CEO of the failed startup company Theranos, which claimed it had a revolutionary technology to test blood in that you could run lots of tests and won't even need a whole vial, but just a drop. So after receiving billions of dollars in investments, Elizabeth was once valued at 4.5 billion US dollars, according to Forbes magazine, making her the youngest self-made female billionaire at the time. She also appeared on the covers of Forbes, Fortune, and the New York Times Tea Magazine and was dubbed the female Steve Jobs. And the reason for that is because she idolized Steve Jobs to the point that she wore his attire, you know, the black turtleneck. So she was using that on purpose. And she also weirdly decided to drop her voice lower. So the people who knew her before, like, what happened to her voice? What is that? So, so that she becomes more convincing? Yeah, because probably she thought people would think men have deeper voice so since she's a woman mm. maybe she needs to be more man sounding i don't oh. know something like also, that also she's a, that fanatic of steve jobs that even the male voice she wants to <laughs> probably <copy. laughs> and actually she was pirating people from apple oh okay she's so good that she managed to do that wow right like she managed to even get this guy who was apparently like when steve jobs was still alive he was his right hand man or something so she was mm. really believable Anyway, it all came crashing down when John Carey Rue, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist at the Wall Street Journal, began to investigate the company in 2015. His findings cast doubt over Theranos technology, prompting a U.S. financial regulator, the Security and Exchange Commission, to launch an investigation. Within a year, Theranos laid off 40% of its employees and, by 2018, it had shut down altogether. Elizabeth was arrested three months later on criminal charges of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. In January 2022, she was found guilty of four counts of fraudulently deceiving investors, each of which carries a prison sentence of up to 20 years and is almost guaranteed to spend time in prison. Hulu has described the TV series as an 
unbelievable tale of ambition and fame gone terribly wrong, adding that it's about money, romance, tragedy, deception. Right? It sounds intense. So, The Dropout is named after a podcast of the same name which charted Elizabeth's rise and fall, asking, how did the woman once heralded as the next Steve Jobs find herself facing criminal charges and up to decades in prison? It's also a reference to Elizabeth's famous decision to drop out of Stanford University in order to set up Theranos. And by the way, this is also something that Steve Jobs did, right? He dropped out of college and maybe that's also why she did it. She was so hooked on the idea that, you know, she should be well known for creating something that would change the world. Kind of like Steve Jobs, right? Like he created the iPhone. She had a good idea, but the problem was when it didn't pan out, right? Like they couldn't make it work. Normal people like you and me, if it doesn't work, then, oh, well, sorry, let's move on. Let's find some other way. Let's not defraud everybody. But she actually faked it. So she faked it till she made it like she even rolled out these machines in Walgreens. And then actually the tests were not being done in that machine. You were done in a lab or whatever. But the problem was there was because maybe because it's such a small sample, right? Some of the tests were wrong. And there were people who got the wrong results, like someone thought he had Whoa. cancer, someone thought he had pre-diabetes, that sort of thing. So that's the ridiculous part about it. Right? It's not just money that she defrauded people off, but these people who relied on the results, right? Can you imagine mm-hmm. there was this guy who was interviewed on the podcast, which I binged, by the way, in like one night or something. Anyway, he mentioned that the doctor said, oh, you have pre-diabetes, so I need to give you medicines, you know, to prevent you from getting to... And he was like, no, wait, I want a second opinion. And mm-hmm. he went and took another blood test. And no, you don't have pre-diabetes. And he's saying that it was dangerous if he had started taking the medicines, right? Yeah. He's not really in need of those and it would have messed up his health. So, yeah, but weirdly, the jury did not find her guilty of the counts related to the people. Really? Yeah, supposedly, she was a step away or something like that. Like, she was not the one who actually tested the people or gave them the results, something which I think is, again, wrong. Because even though it was like, let's say there was a doctor who was doing it, Mm. not her, right? But she was the one who forced them to lie, right? Mm. Because she was famous also for firing people if they didn't believe in her or didn't agree with what she did. So, again, it's like with Rachel, right? It's a high-pressure situation. But I'm surprised. Like, what was her exit strategy? Like, she knew that the machine did not work. Yeah, that's weird, like, right? She, I... <laughs> she dug herself a bigger hole. I was just curious as to how would she... Like, what would be the exit plan? I just, I'm, <laughs> I don't understand. Later on, people would realize it's faulty. It's not doing what it's supposed to, right? Like, yeah, that's the weird part. And the, another weird part is when finally she was ready to go to trial, she was pregnant. And then and the people ooh. were like, oh my God, she purposely got pregnant so that the jury would... Mm, would look look at her at the, with a different eye, right? Yeah, Maybe. it's so diabolical, right? Like, some people were saying, oh, I'm not surprised that she did that. Like, some people were thinking that it was deliberate. So, if it mm-hmm. is, because you don't know what if it was not, but if it is, mm-hmm. that's crazy. You would use your own child? Yeah. I if, don't understand. What did they use to check her pregnancy? Did they use a Theranos <laughs> machine? Then maybe no. it was a false positive, no? <laughs> Probably not. It, she was. Yeah. I think she was really pregnant. 
I'm not entirely sure if she has already given birth or something. But yeah, even though she was already convicted um, last year, they're still waiting to give her a sentence because um, her ex-partner, I forgot his name, but uh, she had a romance with this guy who was working for her, but who is older than her, something like that. I mean, they should have been tried at the same time because hmm. no, they were both in it, right? But one of her defense was, oh, he was abusing me. And the reason why I was doing those things that I was doing was because of him. Like, what? <laughs> Where did this come from? So, <laughs> again, I really do not, I cannot, the audacity of this woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, because of that, they had to split their trial. So, the guy is still on trial right now. And I think hmm. after his trial is done... They will release the sentence after that. Which is weird, right? Why is it like that? Anyway, I don't understand the justice system, so... (laughs) The next swindlers or the con men that we will be discussing are people who are in Wall Street. Mm. Two of them, at least. So, first one is Jordan Ross Belfort. He was the guy who was portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film The Wolf of Wall Street. You remember that? That was a good film. And Leo yeah, should have really won Best film. Actor for that film, honestly. <laughs> did he? Did he win? No, he didn't. He won the next oh, year did. for The Revenant, I think. But people were thinking that he won retroactively because The Revenant it was not really that impactful. <laughs> That's what people he are won thinking. Retroactively. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the award that he got, even though it was for the film Revenant, it was actually for The Wolf of Wall Street. That's the what people are saying, but who knows? <laughs> so Jordan Belfort actually followed a very typical con. It's called a boiler room or a penny stock scam. So what they do is he would hire maybe 10 people to act as kind of investment advisors, quote-unquote. Okay. So what they would do is they would select a penny stock, regardless, whatever penny stock. Let's call it maybe um, Banana Q Mining. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh-huh. So that Banana Q Mining company probably is, is not that known, right? And then it would sell one penny per stock. So it's a penny stock. Then what they do is they would buy a head, maybe... 1 million stocks of banana Q mining, right? For one penny. And what they will do is the advice, investment advisors would then call potential investors. And they will say that, hey, I've heard of this company and they're about to kind of launch or maybe a new product, revolutionary product. Right now, they're worth one penny. They're probably going to be worth $10 next week because I know of a fact that they have a revolutionary product which is all BS, right? Mm. There's no revolutionary product. The projections are way overboard. And because the investment advisor is so believable, they would invest in that new company. And so because there are a lot of investors who believe, wrongly believe that the price would go up, would buy and buy and continue to buy. And so eventually the price of that penny stock would go up. Mm -hmm. And then at a specific value, say the stock now is $10, Jordan Belfort would now sell his 1 million stocks that he previously got for one penny, right? Because now it's worth maybe 100 times. Mm -hmm. And then all those poor investors who actually bought the stock would now see the value of their investment go down, right? Because they would have bought maybe at $5 or $6 whilst the stock price was still rising. Yeah, that's terrible. Okay, yeah. And a lot of people lost their pension money. Oh, no. Savings. 
So yeah, it was it was a terrible. And this is not unique to Jordan Belfort. There are a lot of boiler room scams that happened. It's just that he was popular probably because he was one of the first who did yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh-huh. Uh, he scammed a lot of people. And now he's like giving advice and whatnot. I again, I don't understand how. <laughs> Well, America is the land of chances, right? If you make a mistake, the, the society would still kind of give you a second chance. Okay. I suppose there's a pros and cons to that, but that's how it is in the West. Yeah. And the second guy is Nicholas William Leeson. So apparently there's also a film about him called The Rogue Trader. So this guy was a derivatives trader. So he works for a bank and the bank was Barings Bank. So it was... UK's oldest merchant bank. So it's not your mom and pop shop. So what he did was he made really risky bets and it lost money. And what he did was he had access to creating new accounts. So he created a 5-8 account. So it's like a fictitious account. Mm -hmm. And then he hid it in their company database. So even though he lost money, nobody would know. And whenever he made money, he would show it in his real account. Mm. So in the eyes of the bank, he was a superstar. He was making a lot of monies. Okay. Because all the trades that were successful were the ones that they could only see. Yes. All his losses, he was hiding it in a secret fraudulent account. Oh my gosh. Oh, by the way, if you're trading mm. and you made a loss, you have to pay margin calls. So say, for example, uh, I bet that the price of oil would go up and it went down, the counterparty would demand payment, right? That, hey, mm. you lost in your bet, give me money. So technically, Barings Bank had to wire actual cash as margin payments, right? Mm. But then he was so skilled. He was like faxing them false statements just to prove that this is a typical withdrawal. It's not a margin call. I, I did not make oh. losses. It's just a, te- a normal transaction. Okay. So what he did was whenever he lost money, he would double his bet the following so that if that following bet would win, then it's as if he didn't make any losses, right? Yeah, okay. It's like gamblers thinking. Like if I lost 50, then I'll bet 100 the following so that if I win, (laughs) then it's as if I didn't lose. I see, okay. But then the losses amounted to so much that the capital of the bank will not be able to survive. And he, he just made a series of bad bets and eventually he had no choice but to give in. So eventually, Barings Bank declared bankruptcy just because of him. What the hell? <laughs> Can you imagine like a very old bank like in the Philippines, maybe it's Metro Bank or something and yeah. it goes bankrupt just because of one dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And th- that's why it's important, right? If you, if you work at a bank, you need to have forced leave for two weeks. Oh yeah, yeah. That is why banks have that. So that if you're creating your own fraudulent account, then if you're on leave for two weeks without access to a company's database, then it would be found out. Like, people would found out, right? Yeah. If there are margin calls that are pending, then your counterparty would call your bank. They, hey, you're supposed to pay me $1 million. Where is it? Then, <laughs> you know, you'll be found out. Okay. And the last person is not necessarily Wall Street, but, you know, with the hype of Bitcoin, this lady, Ruja Ignatova, created her own version of Bitcoin and she called it the Bitcoin killer and it's called OneCoin. Ooh, and OneCoin to rule them all? (laughs) 
Yeah, so according to the Times, uh, it was one of the biggest scams in history because it's like an MLM. She promised a product that wasn't there. Right. And it's not just in the U.S. So she went to several countries, Turkey, Bulgaria. A lot of investors don't exactly know how blockchain works. And that's why when Dr. Ruja Ignatova sold her product, people didn't exactly understand what it was. But knowing the success of Bitcoin, they were like willing to give their money. Mm. And then she was supposed to have like a conference and then she just didn't show up. And eventually, where is she? She's supposed to have a a speech. And then (gasps) she's in hiding until now. She has not been found. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So she has been charged in absentia from the term. Probably she was charged even though she was not there. Uh, The U.S. authorities for wire fraud, securities fraud, and money laundering. So she's still at large. I don't know where she is right now. Nobody knows where she is right now. That's crazy. I have one last person to mention. So it's also portrayed in a movie by Leonardo DiCaprio. So this is for the movie Catch Me If You Can. So Leonardo DiCaprio stars as real-life conman Frank Abagnale Jr., who throughout the 60s and 70s cashed more than $2 million in fake checks and successfully posed as a doctor, a lawyer, a college professor, and a pilot for Pan American Airlines. What? (laughs) According to Abagnale's own story... He began conning at the age of 15 and was hunted throughout his teenage years by the FBI. So, does it sound familiar? It's kind of like Neil Caffrey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, after he had served his sentence, he became an FBI consultant. Just like Neil Caffrey. <laughs> so, I think that this was where they got the idea. So, it's really an incredible story, right? But, according to Esquire.com, a new book from journalist Alan C. Logan says, Abagnale's version of things in the movie's narrative might be his greatest con. So, this was just a very recent book, just last year. So, using public records and interviews... Logan outlines a very different story in The Greatest Hoax on Earth, Catching Truth While We Can. He said, Abagnale's narrative that between the ages of 16 and 20, he was on the run, chased all over the United States, and even internationally by the FBI. This is completely fictitious. What? Yeah. Public records obtained by me show that he was confined for the most part in prison during those years. Logan says that Abagnale started inventing the version of the story we see in Catch Me If You Can after he appeared on the 1977 game show To Tell the Truth. This led to multiple appearances on television, speaking engagements, a best-selling book, and of course, the Spielberg film. So, hey, maybe conning all of us for nearly half a century into believing he was the world's greatest conman is Abagnale's greatest con. Then, yeah, the title still holds water. <laughs> oh my god, that is so funny, isn't it? Like, um, I think I listened to this podcast where this Logan guy was on, and he was even saying that the FBI actually never confirms what Abigail did for them. So he could have embellished that part also. Like, apparently, there's this video of him saying that he is in this book, like FBI's list of 100 whatever then he is on that book as the only guy who was let go and then hired as a consultant by FBI and then Logan said he looked for that book and Abigdale is not on that book oh <laughs> no <laughs> then maybe everything is 
fake. No, it's not everything though. He really was a con man. Like he was in jail, right? He mentioned. Mm. But it was not really for that much. Like for mm. example, he mentioned like millions of dollars. Actually, there was like, it's probably just like a thousand five hundred dollars or something. So it's like, um... <laughs> Okay, so he probably did all the stories in his mind while he was in prison, right? It's like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, yes. <laughs> How could I have, have I done it better? And then <laughs> instead of a thousand five hundred, I could have swindled maybe millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all in his mind. It's so funny. I don't know what to think of this. <laughs> So to close this, we would like to say that even though we like watching White Collar and, you know, all those heist movies, it's enjoyable watching them because we know it's fiction. But truth is not, you know, it's not fun at all to be conned. And yeah. we do not condone conning people at all, yes, right? Definitely. So my tip for avoiding cons is just any time that money is involved, think twice. Yeah, definitely. Like, even if it's a friend, like, a friend could con you, like, in the case of Anna, right? Mm. It's fine to give money if, if they want to ask for money or something. But just make sure that you're giving only what you can afford to lose. Mm. Don't take out loans into $150,000 because your friend or your boyfriend needs it because his enemies, his enemies, you know what I mean? Like, try not to be swayed by emotion because that's what con artists do. Uh, speaking of this, actually... Recently, I got a call and mm -hmm. then it was someone who was apparently from some job site or whatever. And then she was saying that, uh, are you interested in jobs in like, you know, she mentioned a lot of different countries. Mm -hmm. And then she said that you just need to pay us a fee. And then the moment Ooh. she said that, I said, no, this doesn't sound legit. And also the website was dodgy. I, I forgot what it's called. Yeah, that's usually the sign and signal, right? If... There are a lot of grammatical errors and it doesn't look legit enough. Yeah, like there's an S where there shouldn't be an S. You know what I mean? Like it's a wrong grammar. And I knew like, wait a minute. I, if I was a legit website, I would not, you know, <laughs> it's very, I would not yeah. use it, right? Like for example, it's supposed to be lookforjobs.com. That's what it should be, for example. But there's just like mm -hmm. looks for jobs, something like that. Whoa. So like, Nope. And then she's saying, oh, I'll pass you over to my supervisor and she will give you, you know, the list of jobs available, blah, blah, blah. And then at that point, I just dropped the call. I mean, other people, mm. I think, would, would want to keep on, but then they would con them. But like, I, I don't want to waste my time on these people. So I just mm. dropped the call. And then they tried calling back. I just kept on dropping and then they stopped. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's the reason why I like watching these shows, right? Because it, it educates me. Yes. What types of con men are there? what type of scams they're running so that I can avoid them in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think a common characteristic of the con men and women that we describe today is they're really, I would say, likable people. They're eloquent. Mm. They're well-dressed. And so you will be persuaded really to whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But in your recent example, that's a new type <laughs> of con men. Like they, they don't necessarily appear likable. Uh huh. Probably they're just in their pajamas with a laptop, right? But that's different, right? Because they you don't see them in person. But I bet yeah. if this were a face-to-face -face cam, they would be mm. dressed to the nines, be mm. wearing like lots of bling, and you know, mm. be very confident, right? 
And that is how these conmen are pulling it off through confidence. That's right. Like the audacity, I really, I still cannot wrap my hand around it. Like I wouldn't even be that confident even if I really have what I say I have. But Anna, again, back to Anna, right? Like every time she would be questioned by the hotel, she would be the one like insulting them. Like, how dare you confront me? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. <laughs> Maybe for her, it's also survival mode, right? Like if you put your shoes in Anna's situation, if she doesn't have any money, like where else would she stay? And it's winter, maybe. Like True. She would freeze to death. So maybe part of what's pushing her is really survival mode. Like I need to do this. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll, I'll die. Like I'll con my way. <laughs> but what, what she did was it was way in excess. Yeah, $30,000. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, what the heck? Ray has a good point. Watch these shows, listen to podcasts about it, read mm. about articles because it does help you. Mm. When it's there in front of you, you can immediately tell like, hmm, something's wrong. Yeah. And if you're planning a trip to the Philippines, we previously covered scams in the Philippines. So please consider... Looking for that episode, it's uh, episode 47. What are true petty crimes in the Philippines? And if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast. It really does help a lot. Yes. And also, if you have any comments about anything we discussed, please let us know on Instagram or Facebook or email, and maybe we'll feature them on the next... Cutie Minute. Time for our followers. Cutie Minute. Your thoughts in our voice. Cutie Minute. Not really one minute, but we're calling it... Cutie Minute. Our first cutie is from Tablieren Movement. Oh, this is Emily from Paris. And she says, This episode was very interesting. This is in relation to episode 75, Philippine Weddings. I liked how at the beginning you tried to talk about the different wedding traditions. I learned many things about them. I would love to attend a Filipino wedding. Oh, D. I think she wants to attend your wedding. No. <laughs> to taste a lot of Filipino dishes. Because, yes, I go to weddings for the food. I mean, that's typical, right? I mean, mm. there's always a feast whenever there's a wedding. Mm -hmm. I wonder what kind of Filipino food you prepare for a wedding. Hmm. I mean, there's always that lechon, right? Yeah. I mean, not just wedding, but any Filipino celebration, you always see that. Yeah, that's a centerpiece. In your wedding, what did you have? I actually forgot. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I even ate that much. <laughs> yeah, that's common actually, right? Because you're busy, right? If, mm. if it's your wedding, you have a program to follow. Maybe first slice of cake. So you, you slice the cake, you eat the cake, and then you'll... Then you need to hop onto different tables to take to have your photo taken. Aside from the lechon, I don't think there's a common thing that you see in all weddings in the Philippines, right? Mm. It really depends on the taste of the couple. It could be Filipino food, but Western food is also very common, right? Or maybe mm. Italian. Yeah, it could be anything, really. Our second cutie is Tripni Neni, and she commented on episode 70, Filipino Superstitions. I just finished listening to this. So interesting how many superstitions revolve around money. Some of the ones you described reminds me of Chinese Lunar New Year traditions. Like not cleaning on actual New Year's Day or showering to prevent washing away the good luck. All the cleaning should be done prior to New Year. Also, I remember my mom telling me about going blind if I sleep when hair is wet. 
I think yeah. equivalent of buyag is when you say tabi-tabi po. In Tarlac, we say bari-bari or dayu-dayu. I enjoyed listening to this episode, but it would have been cool too if we had covered possible cultural significance or history behind the saying. So, yeah, actually, it's a good idea. Oh, uh, also, I remember how sabi ni nanay, bawal daw magwalis o magbayad sa gabi. Bad luck. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks once again everyone for listening in and see you next week bye bye